The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, Deb Hutton is your former advisor to two Ontario premiers. Michelle Morrow is a music teacher and uh, one of our contestants in the People's Voice Awards. Bob Richardson is here, senior counsel at National Public Relations. Um, let's actually start with a lifestyle story, and that would be that people just are not coming back to work. And Bob Richardson, I'll start with you. I don't know what your work situation is. I think it's fascinating that I had a scratchy throat this weekend. I called the boss and I said, how about I do the show from home so that's what i'm doing today and i would bet the average person listening right now would have no idea yeah uh, listen i call my dining room table global headquarters <laughs> uh, i work uh, most of the time uh, from uh, home and uh, have been doing so for a long period of time i was doing it pre-pandemic though uh so uh so i'm i'm pretty comfortable where i am I will say on the return to the office, we have one of the lowest rates in North America here in Toronto. And that really is a result of our banks being pretty light on people and our, our big insurance companies. So they're the first ones, I hate to say it, who lecture us on productivity and put out these reports all the time and say we aren't productive enough, except for when it comes to their own employees, because they don't want to act there. And Michelle Morrow, I find it fascinating that things we assumed were normal are completely off the table now. So the normal thing was, you know, you graduate university, you get a job, you go to work in an office tower, you eat in the food court, you uh, run errands in the path, and then you go home. And then along comes COVID and everybody realized, wait a second, you know, much as Bob Richardson said, I can do this from my dining room table. Yeah, I kind of like the idea that people have that flexibility. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit on the outside because like Bob, um, instead of a dining room table, I have a piano. So that's where I do primarily all my work. Um, so I, I'm not, I was not part of that um, lifestyle before COVID happened. But I'm really excited that this has kind of forced companies who perhaps in the past had said, you can't productively work from home. They've maybe had to change their minds and see that productivity is the same. And as someone like my dad worked from home my entire life, and he was very productive, so I'm kind of glad to see that we can trust our employees to work from home. Deb Hutton, it's a bit of a fraught situation, though, for the economy that is based on people coming and going in the downtown. Do we have Deb? I'm here. Can you not hear me? I can hear you now. <laughs> uh, one of the issues for us, too, is transit. I mean, we have a tremendous need to get our, our transit up to levels that we used to see before uh, because it's costing taxpayers a ton. So I'm, I'm going to hold out here, John, and say that I think ultimately, while there'll be much greater flexibility in our workplace, so snowy day, you can work from home, um, kids sick, you can work from home, whatever your situation might be, same as you this morning. But I do think ultimately people will realize that they're missing some of the interaction when it comes to being part of an office group. Um, actually, I want to stick with, uh, you know, office issues for a second, because there's a very funny column, I find anyway, because I used to teach workshops in improv in corporate settings. Uh, but this particular column says that scavenger hunts, escape rooms and improv workshops are not only counterproductive, but employees absolutely hate them. Uh, Bob, Bob Richardson, your thoughts on this? I'm chuckling a little. Look, I think sometimes it's good, but I think sometimes corporations get carried away and it just feels forced and you look around and everyone's rolling their eyes. 
I think there's a sweet spot, and I haven't seen a corporation quite hit it uh, properly yet. Deb Hutton, I have to say, I love my coworkers, but if I was put in an escape room, I might actually, you know, it could go south. <laughs> Oh my God! I guarantee it would go south for me. No <laughs> questions asked. I this I hated these things. I still hate these things. I the the problem I have is the mandatory nature of them. So I think the best thing, which I used to do when I was in an office environment with my staff, is to say, "Hey, who's around tonight to go for a glass of wine? We'll kick off early and and go spend an hour together." Uh, to me, that the, the socialization, getting to know your coworkers in a different way, is fantastic for the environment. For Forcing people to go play things or do things or, my God, improv would be my worst nightmare, I think is counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, Michelle Morrow. I, you know, now I realize that I was visiting something on a workforce they probably hated. Oh, uh, it's unanimous across the panel today. I hate them, too. I didn't have to do them when I was working at a restaurant, but the thought of doing them now would just like, oh, if any of the people I worked with, like at the theater or anything, I would be like, nope, no, thank you. I see enough of you people. I love you all, and I want to keep it that way. So, no, we don't need to socialize outside of work unless we have to. Um, Sharks goalie James Reimer declined to wear a pride jersey. And, Deb, I'll start with you on this one. Um, people might think I'm sitting on the fence. I'm not. I, I believe people have a right to whatever opinion they want to have. But they also have to weather whatever kind of blowback there is. And I'd have to say, if somebody of another faith, for example, that tends to categorize women, declined to take, play, you know, take part in an event for International Women's Day, I would also have a somewhat negative opinion opinion of them. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you, you do what you want to do within reason, within the law, within um, tolerance, uh, but you do so with repercussions. And I think this guy's done himself a disservice, and I have zero uh, likability when it comes to him whatsoever. I, I think it's appalling that he's doing it, but fill your boots, buddy. Yeah, Michelle Morrow, your thoughts, because, again, I, I, I am a big believer that you can say and do whatever you want. I have defended racists and neo-Nazis. It's just that you also have to wear those opinions. Absolutely. And Deb put it correctly. You can say what you want, but you have to bear the consequence of it. And there may be some circles within the hockey uh, community who this who are not affected by this which it probably is the saddest part to me that people will be like yeah he's right to do this and inclusivity sucks and it stinks that it may not bear the repercussion that i hope it does and i hope someone who perhaps is in the closet and looking up to james raymer is now hesitant to say anything because he knows that their favorite person doesn't like who he is yeah and bob richardson i mean it's undeniable there have to be gay players in the nhl and there are young gay players in junior hockey and they look to james raymer uh, suggesting that there's something wrong with that and i get it it's religiously informed and fill your boots but you're not setting an example uh, no, you're not. But you, you, you know who is setting an example? The organization you can play. Ten years ago, uh, there was none of this in the NHL. And it was taboo to talk about the whole top topic. Ten years later, 90, 95% of the players are participating. There's all sorts of events going on. And things are much better. So I think we ought to congratulate the 95% and stop focusing on uh, the occasional uh, 
turkey who won't uh, participate. Well, and shout out to Brian Burke. It was so fascinating when he came out with his book and we tried to uh, book him on the show. He said, yeah, I'm not going to do an interview with John Moore because he and I had an argument like 100 years ago. Uh, But Brian Burke, again, this weekend, I think, demonstrated why there's a true man of principle in all of this because everyone will recall his son uh, was a gay hockey player and Burke is once again standing up for that this weekend. Uh, Let's talk about this column, which is uncredited, a member of Canada's, uh, you know, international spy agency wrote a column about why he's blowing the whistle on Chinese interference. And Michel Moreau, I'm I'm a bit mixed on this. I mean, I get it. Whistleblowers are quite necessary. Uh, but I think people like the whistleblowers who are blowing the whistle on people they don't like. So in this case, people who can't stand Justin Trudeau think this guy is great. Yeah, I... I like that they put the article out and the fact that you could hear sort of the the point of view from um, the whistleblower themselves. And this is why I did it. And this is why I, I took an oath to be it's country before party. It's country before everything. So I appreciated seeing that. Um, people are people who hate Justin Trudeau are going to find all sorts of reasons to do it. I don't know if this this article will help them either way. Um, but I hope that anyone in this position will remember that oath they took and step forward no matter the repercussions. Although I realize it's easy for me to say that in the comfort of my own home when my job is not at risk. So I do appreciate there are people who are willing to stand up like this. Bob Richardson, your thoughts, because as I said, I always find it fascinating. There are people who think that Edward Snowden or Julian Assange should hang. It all depends on who's, uh, you know, who they did damage to. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got a big problem with this whole uh, CSIS thing. I knew one guy in CSIS a number of years ago. He was a nut. Uh, he had very extreme views uh, on government, not just on liberals, but on government uh, in, in general. And quite frankly, him handing over documents to the number one Trudeau hater in the country, Bob Fife, to me doesn't pass the smell test if, if it was somebody like him. I don't know that it was, but it could very well have been. So I think we're giving, the Globe and Mail are giving the, this whole thing a real pass. And it uh, there's virtually no accountability here from journalistic perspective. And I've got a big problem with that. All right, Deb Hutton, your thoughts. Yeah, I'm with Bob on this. And, and God forbid anyone would call me a Trudeau lover by any stretch. <laughs> I Initially, initially, I thought uh, Trudeau made a strategic error in focusing on finding out who the whistleblower was. I thought that was dumb in the first few days and wrong. And he should have been talking about the information that was leaked. Where I'm at now, though, is this guy has leaked things more than once. The Globe and Mail, so wrong in giving him a platform. Yes, he took an oath around his country, as Michelle said, but he also took an oath to keep things secret, and he's breaking it. And the Globe has given this guy a platform, and he's a lawbreaker, quite frankly. And I, I have a huge problem with this. I have a huge problem with the with the whistleblower continuing to do this. I have a huge problem with the Globe giving him, as I said, this platform. This is just plain wrong. You know, our national security should be something that we can depend on. So blowing the whistle once is one thing. Commending this guy and, and as I said, giving him a platform, absolutely wrong, and we should all be concerned about it. Uh, younger Canadians apparently not as impressed with Canada and its institutions. And again, I'll come back to you, Deb Hutton, on this one. I'm I'm not as persuaded by this uh, survey because when you ask people, are you satisfied with Canada? I mean, that's like asking you if you're satisfied with your cell phone provider. 
Yeah, I don't even know what it means, to be honest. And and if you if you had to just guess, if you had said to me, you know, who do you think is the most dissatisfied? We all would have said the younger generation, those people who are idealistic still in many ways, who may have just started paying taxes and see how much of their income is being lost to government. Uh, so I, I don't think this tells us anything. I know there's a bit of a trend that it's getting worse, but I don't I don't think this is any different than any other time in our history. Michelle Moreau, I think you're the younger person on the panel. Are you satisfied with Canada as a country? Oh, my God. I love it whenever you say that. <laughs> um, I am. But I think I think what I want to keep in mind is that um, I, I look at um, my relationship with my country like a marriage. I will criticize it, but I still love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So I'm trying to look at this um, this survey that's saying that people may be unsatisfied. And like Deb said, the youngest the youngest uh, cohort might be the most unsatisfied because, yes, they're starting to pay taxes and realizing how much things actually cost. Um, but hopefully they see that this is something worth fighting for and this is something that they, as the youngest generation, can now work to improve because perhaps as we are getting older, the fight in us might get a little bit less fiery so maybe this is a chance for them to step forward and be like yes this is what we want to change but i'm definitely not ready to throw canada away or move to another country yeah all right thank you all great discussion deb hutton bob richardson and michelle morrow catch the round table round one at 7 45 round two at 8 45 weekday mornings on more in the morning news talk 1010 toronto